Hey there, it's Sound of Groove Podcast, back for the second episode in the two-part theme on technology. Geez, I don't know, I'll come up with a title later, but basically, you know, we're talking about innovations in human history and uh, uh, inventions that have kind of forwarded the progress of civilization and all that great stuff, and how it ties into music, right? So song titles and song subject matter that kind of deals with that is the whole entire I guess, uh, gist of what we're going for. And if you haven't heard episode one of this, that's basically how I can describe it to you. Now go back and listen to that one if you haven't heard it, and then you can listen to this one. But hey, anyway, if you have heard that one, this isn't super new to you, and you're going to hear some more music on this one, the second of this two-part theme, as I said. Also the fourth of 2019 in the Sound of Group podcast of an eventual six that will come out this year, I uh, pledge to you. So uh, getting into that theme, getting to a song that deals with it, Let's go with uh, Bert Jansch. Now, this is a track called The Blacksmith. It's coming from his 1974 album, L.A. Turnaround. Now, Bert was uh, one of the leading uh, names on the folk revival scene in the U.K. See, there was one in the U.S. in the early to mid-60s, but there was one in the U.K. also, and you might think of people like Donovan as part of that, but he kind of was one of the more commercially you know, acceptable parts of it and came toward the end. There are some other ones who were incredible on guitar, too, like John Renborn and this guy, Bert Jansch, and later he was even in a super group with these kind of guys called uh, Pentangle. But anyway, and that kind of, you know, got lost and mixed in with this sort of prog rock movement by the end of the 60s. A lot of those folkies and a lot of that uh, influence that they had sort of found its way there and also into psychedelia. But before that all was happening, you know, the folk music of England. And of course, <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Fairport Convention, which had Sandy Denny and Richard Thompson, the two of the giants uh, that were in the band. So... In that UK scene, there were a lot of people drawing upon the traditional tunes. I mean, these the UK folk stuff compared to the US stuff goes back way, way far further. We're talking about, you know, Middle Ages and stuff here, right? And Bert Jansch was kind of considered a phenomenal uh, wizard of the acoustic guitar. Like Neil Young praised him and said, oh, he's one of my personal favorites. He's my favorite if you get down to it because he's basically the Hendrix of the acoustic guitar. And there was lots of people who praised him that way. You know, he was noted for his skills on the instrument and for what he was doing, which was very ahead of its time. And he really influenced not just people like Neil Young, but also Jimmy Page, and uh, later ones to come out, like Richard Thompson. Like Everybody sort of just saw him as like the guru of, uh, of acoustic guitar when electric was what was sexy, of course, in the mid-60s. So uh, he had been in Pentangle, like I said, a super group. When they broke up, he took a couple years off. He, went, he was farming, and then he uh, left his wife and family at the time, split up, and went back into music and did this album in 1974 called L.A. Turnaround. And this is one of these standout tracks on it. And uh, it describes a position that used to be very important in the old pre-Industrial Revolution days of the blacksmith. And that's the title of it. So let's get to it. Bert Janch here on the Sound of Groove Podcast. Out walking in the country Betty Boo, jolly blacksmith He was showing a lively man He was singing the stranger One for the master, one for the old But none for the poor So doing this he
There you get a good sense of the great English folk of Berchant. Of course, his name is a German background, so it's usually pronounced Janch or something. But uh, his predecessors had settled in Scotland, where he was from, uh, many, many years earlier. And that's kind of how it morphed into a pronunciation of. Anyhow, that's one of the standout tracks of one of his many great albums. I, I suggest you check him out if you're really into that kind of folk. I mean, you heard that track there. If that's your bag, then you should, you know delve further into Birchance, and I promise you won't be disappointed. Now let's go to kind of technology that sort of is more recent, and really we think about spaceships, which is the subject of the next track, as if it's just about, you know, traveling interstellar through space. But it's not really necessarily that. I mean, that includes rockets and anything we've sent to the moon, anything we've sent out in the universe to track something. Those are spaceships, even though they're not manned, you know. So this track is kind of dealing with that stuff, and it's from a guy named George Clinton, who was the central figure of the Parliament Funkadelic Empire. There are two different bands on two different labels. Well, they're actually pretty much all the same band, but just different names on different labels is what I mean. And, uh, you know, he kind of innovated uh, a lot of... Uh, and, and influenced a lot of people in funk going forward. You know, there's Sly and the Family Stone, and then there's Parliament and Funkadelic. And George Clinton, you know, originally he was the central figure of a vocal group called the Parliaments, all of a sudden, they tried some acid or something, and things went completely different, and they tried a lot of different out-there stuff, you know, got on the uh, fringes of, um, of R&B world and really changed a lot in the 70s. But they kind of morphed into more of a party dance band later in the 70s, too. Funkadelic was for kind of the freaky electric guitar-dominated stuff, something kind of like Hendrix would have done if he were around in the 70s. But while Parliament was more oriented toward funk and dance uh, party type of music, and then when various legal wranglings came into effect in the early 80s, George Clinton could no longer record under those names. And later he did have an assembly of a lot of his uh, favorite sidemen from that era and called it the P-Funk All-Stars. But at first he went solo, and uh, he's put out several, so, several solo albums, starting in 1982 with computer games. This particular track is called New Spaceship, and it's from a 1996 album of his called, and it's an abbreviation one with dots in between and all that, T-A-P-O-A-F-O-M is the name of the album, which uh, supposedly stands for the awesome power of a fully operational mothership. Because <laughs> you see, back in the 70s, they talked about the mothership connection, and it was sort of this whole alien thing, like the alien race. It's very sci-fi, although it wasn't nerdy at all, let's put it that way. But anyhow, in 1996, he kind of kept talking about that idea. His particular song has a guest appearance from Charlie Wilson, who is uh, one of the uh, big lead singers of the Gap Band, who are also kind of very P-Funk oriented back in the late 70s, early 80s. Anyway, let's get to it. George Clinton from 1996 with New Spaceship on the Santa Group Podcast.
funky 1996 track from George Clinton, New Spaceship, here on the Sound of Groove podcast. It's technology part two theme episode. So uh, I just did Spaceship, which is very futuristic. It's of the now, but it's also of the future, this whole traveling around through outer space thing. Uh, And before that, I did one about the blacksmith, of course. Now let's go back to that cottage industry era of uh, technology before the Industrial Revolution really set off the first sort of mass production era in uh, human civilization history, you might say, it could be argued. This is a track, uh, it's called If I Were a Carpenter. Now this became a huge standard, and a lot of people covered it and made it into hits of their own. It was originally written by a guy named Tim Harden, who was one of those other folky singer-songwriters out of the U.S. scene, uh, whose career was kind of always marred by mental health problems, like he had a lot of drug addiction issues and died of an overdose finally in 1980. And um, by then, his career had kind of really stagnated. He hadn't done anything since 1973. He had been trying to make the road to come back. But his particular track that won him the most accolades, although he also wrote Reason to Believe, which Rod Stewart popularized and a lot of people covered otherwise, um, would be this song, If I Were a Carpenter. And uh, Bobby Darren, this is the version I'm going to play of it. Now, you might remember, if you've heard of him before, he had some hits uh, in the rock and roll era, like Splish Splash. And then later he kind of, you know, tried to transition to more adult material, like Mac the Knife and all that. And uh, then he drifted into sort of the folk rock scene as well. And he, unfortunately, passed away too young as well, though that was because of um, trying to fix a heart problem. It was open heart surgery that he passed away from, unlike Tim Harton's drug issue. And this cover version, which uh, came off an album of the same title in 1966, gave a little bit of exposure to the greatness of Tim Harden, while also reviving his career just a little bit. So let's take a listen to that. Of course, The Carpenter, you know, that still exists today, but back in those days, you know, every town had its own um, cottage industry for a particular trade, craft. And The Carpenter obviously worked with wood. And, you know, I mean, that still exists today, but... This is what we're talking about. We're going real far back. I mean, a carpenter goes back so long. (laughs) They say Jesus was a carpenter. It's a pretty old profession, uh, you might say. So let's take a listen here. It's uh, If I Were a Carpenter, as covered by Bobby Darin. His version actually came out a year ahead of Tim Harden's, by the way, which was 1967. This is a year before that in 1966. So let's hear it on the Sound of Groove podcast, Technology, episode part two, right now. If I were a carpenter and you were a lady, would you marry me anyway? Would you have my baby? If a tinker were my trade, would you? 
still find me Carrying the pots I made Following behind me Save my love through loneliness Save my love for sorrow I've given you my onlyness Come and give me your tomorrow If I work my hands in wood Would you still love me? Answer me, baby, yes I would I'll put you above me If I were a miller At a mill wheel grinding Would you miss your color box Your soft shoes shining If I Were a Carpenter. It's a great example of how a classic folk type of tune can become a pop standard, which it did. Bobby Darren was a big part of that, but, you know, like, everybody in showbiz would want to cover that song after that, or seem to, anyhow, and it really kind of gave Tim Harden a big name. Ironically enough, a couple years later, Bobby Darren wrote a song called Simple Song of Freedom that Tim Harden would cover in return, and it became one of his first huge hits as well. So, hey, returning the favor kind of bit. Bobby Darren was getting more into that politically active folk world for a while in the late 60s, but he'd suffered a lot of health problems growing up and uh, a lot of heart issues he had to have surgery for and unfortunately passed away from one of them in 1973, but left quite a legacy. You know, he had done everything from the rock and roll scene to show tunes to country to folk rock. You know, he had covered a lot of different angles. And, uh, you know, that's it made for a really interesting um, showbiz career. And also one of the aspects of it, what gained attention in later years, and I think they may, may have even made a, like a documentary movie about it, was that Bobby Darren, well, who he thought was his sister was actually his mother in real life because she had been a young, or she had been very young when she gave birth, so it was kept a secret for a while, and he found out later. That and, you know, some marriage uh, breaking down problems was part of the, you know, that just added strain to his already worsened health. But anyhow, he made that a signature hit of his, and Tim Harden, who had a lot of other great songs, really cashed in on that one. Unfortunately, being a heroin addict, his uh, career didn't end up going to the heights it should have. Now, let's move on to another aspect of technology. You know, the wheel is one of the most important inventions ever, as we all know, because, I mean, once it was invented, people realized they could drive, they could move around a lot faster. If you had that circular motion along the ground, you could go along a lot faster than you could by foot, right? This is a particular track called Driving Wheel. Now, it comes from uh, a big all-star album of all kinds of, you know, jug band, folk musicians from around uh, the U.S., and it was called Have Moisey was the name of the album, you know, M-O-I-C-Y. Now, it came out in 1976 and is officially credited to Michael Hurley, the Unholy Modal Rounders, Jeffrey Frederick, and the Clam Tones. So, yeah, quite the array of artists, huh? And a lot of the songs on there are not even, like, standard. They're new tracks written for that particular album. This one I'm going to play was written by Michael Hurley, who was the main you know, credit on the album, and uh, obviously, you know, this is this is a uh, one of the more underrated, and but yet highly critically regarded albums of the mid '70s, and is considered one of the best folk albums 
that ever was thrown out there because it just combined so many different great all-stars onto one LP. I mean, a lot of these guys obviously got their name and, you know, got, kind of developed their chops on the New York City Greenwich Village scene, obviously, like a lot of them did. And uh, you can really hear it on this album. A lot of them were veterans by this point, you know. <clears throat> They'd been going for quite a number of years. You know, they were in their mid-30s or older, and, and they just really showed off what, you know, their pedigree was. So here's a track that's a real standout from that album. It's called Driving Wheel, as I said. And here it is. It's on a group podcast. I got no driving wheel Ain't got no drive Fun wheel Ain't got no drive Fun wheel Begin to buzzin', the bubbles rush up like mad. Right there, you got something to help you out when you ain't got nothing to brag about. They call on me to breathe I said I ain't got the time Going down on that gal of mine I'm going down People say that the blues, they ain't nothing The blues ain't nothing bad But they must not have meant them blues The blues I had Oh, they must not have meant All right, there was Driving Wheel by, well, a multitude of artists. Michael Hurley, the Unholy Modal Rounders, Jeffrey Frederick, and the Clam Tones on their big collaborative superstar folk rock album of 1976. Have Moisey, and that particular song there, of course, talks about one of the oldest inventions, the, the wheel, the driving wheel, if you would uh, refer to it that way. But we're going to go with something a little more modern on our next track. This one's called Shipbuilding. So, of course, it refers to something that uh, in the era of the World Wars has been a big deal. And, of course, in terms of transporting items around the world, 
And of course, it sort of fell a little bit out of, um, not favor, but as highly regarded or as highly dependent on as it used to be in the back half of the 20th century. So a lot of towns that were known for their production of that, a lot of what they call port towns, a lot of um, uh, seafaring towns kind of suffered as a result. This track was written by Elvis Costello, the lyrics, and the um, music was by Clive Langer, who produced his 1983 album with the attractions called Punch the Clock. There, uh, they, he wrote the music and Elvis wrote the lyrics kind of as a protest of the Falklands War, which involved, of course, England trying to claim their hegemony over that island, over the Argentinians. But uh, Robert Wyatt also covered it, and he had a hit version with it, in fact. And now he was a drummer uh, who originally was in a progressive rock band in the late 60s called The Soft Machine and then ventured out to do his own thing. Very jazz-influenced, kind of a mercurial figure, and uh, he had fallen out a window because of heavy drinking he had you know gone backward outside someone's window uh, at a party and ended up injuring himself severely enough that he became a paraplegic the rest of his life so he's confined to a wheelchair and of course he had a big hit with a song a cover of i'm a believer you know that monkey song that neil diamond wrote and there was a bit of a protest because top of the pops had him on he was lip syncing to it and there was sort of a a little bit of a kerfuffle over should he show up with it? Can we show his wheelchair? The producers originally didn't want to until finally, you know, Robert White said, no, we'll show it. And they came to a compromise where he wore like a blanket over himself or something like that. But, and now being a drummer, he, of course, wasn't able to use his feet. So he developed a style where he could only use his arms. Having been just a paraplegic, he could still at least drum a bit and sing. And I think he even played some horn instruments too. Um, which ties into his jazz fascination. Now, he, uh, Elvis Costello produced this particular record. Uh, Robert Wyatt covered it, and it was a surprise hit for him after many years of not having a high-charting one at all. And, uh, yeah, so it really fits in with our technology theme in terms of uh, at least the construction side of it, engineering, of course. And uh, the Falklands War was supposed to sort of help revive things, and Elvis Costello kind of, with his lyrics, contrasted that to the fact that a lot of you know young men would be sent away to perhaps be killed in this war. Anyhow, let's get to it. Here is Shipbuilding from 1982, Robert White on the Sound Group Podcast.
There you go, Robert Wyatt from uh, 1982 with his cover of the Elvis Costello Clive Langer composition, Shipbuilding. Like uh, I said, it was a hit single for him. Reached number 35, but for Robert Wyatt, that was a pretty high charting uh, thing on his ra label, Rough Trade Records. It never had a top 40 hit. Originally, it was released in the summer of 82 and did not chart, and then it was re released in April 1983, and it did crack the top 40. So, second time was a charm in that case, I guess. And you can hear it's very jazzy, compared to the Elvis Costello version even, which has a more like classical jazz type of piano part by uh, Elvis's guy in the attractions. Um, Steve Naive was his name. Yes, sorry, my memory almost escaped me there. Now let's go to something a little more recent in the technological innovation side of things. That would be rockets, because we're talking about space travel earlier with new spaceship. Now, of course, getting into space, how do you do that? Of course, the rocket ship. And that started to become a big thing in the 50s, and then became the, you know, race to get to the moon first. Yes, and while the Soviets managed to get the first man into space, the first rocket into space, the first monkey, and God knows what else, because some of it was very top secret, the Americans got to the moon first. So that was a very special moment, and that, of course, was uh, 1969, with the moon landing, Apollo 13, or sorry, Apollo 11. Apollo 13 was a little different, yeah. That had a movie, so maybe that's why it's on my brain more. But this particular track is called that, Rockets, and it comes from a 1981 album called There Goes a Neighborhood by the always entertaining and wild Joe Walsh. This was back in an entertaining and wild time of his, where he was kind of like the court jester of rock. He had been in the Eagles, for just a few years, but it really raised his profile. He'd been in the James Gang before all that, and then went solo and had his own band briefly called Barnstorm, and was you know, pretty well known in the rock and roll scene, but not like a huge name, like a superstar name. Then he was in the Eagles, and that sort of changed everything because when he joined them was just before Hotel California, and they did the long run. So he was only on them for two albums before they split, but it really helped make him, you know, a household name in a way. He could basically then his solo career. He had that carte blanche to say, hey, I'm one of the guitarists from the Eagles. But of course, after the Eagles ended, the party never stopped for him. He descended into a lot of alcohol abuse and some cocaine. And oh yeah, It was just a very big mess. And I think the Eagles basically straightened him up when they said, we're reuniting, doing this tour, but you're not a part of it unless you get sober. So in the mid-90s, Joe finally straightened out for good, and to this day, he apparently is. But when he was living that madcap lifestyle sort of... Um, he really took that Life in the Fast Lane song the Eagles did to heart, <laughs> chopping up hotel rooms with axes, or not axes, but chainsaws anyway. And this uh, album, was, you know, the music was still okay, but it wasn't what it could have been. And when he was in the James Gang, he wrote some truly awesome tunes, but this one here is one of the choice cuts off that album, There Goes the Neighborhood. So let's take a listen. It's a 1981 track by Joe Walsh called Rockets right here on the Sound and Groove podcast. Take it away.
Right, there was Rockets from Joe Walsh back in 1981, and we're going to keep going here on our Sound of Groove podcast, the second episode of a two-part theme on technology, and we're going to go a little country because we haven't really done anything. We've had a lot of folk songs on here, but um, yeah, I guess we're going to delve into that with some Willie and Merle. This is a, yeah, if you don't know country really well, that's Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard. This is a 1987 collaborative album they did called Seashores of Old Mexico and a track on it called Shotgun and a Pistol. Now, those are two pretty uh, significant innovations. I mean, for good or bad, you know, the gun is a huge uh, technological innovation that uh, had to do with a lot of the warfare that's been fought over the years, especially in the 20th century. And, I mean, the pistol is kind of like, I guess, the newer form of the two of them. The shotgun goes back a little further. But... Both of them, of course, you know, really important in crime and in warfare. I mean, the, there are inventions that have helped humanity, and there are inventions that haven't really quite helped it. But, I mean, what are you going to do about it, right? So this is a particular track that deals with that, and it's, you know, kind of got a bandito theme. It goes really well with the country outlaw image, of course, of Willie and Merle. Now, Merle come, you know, around a little... Well, I mean, his uh, fame came earlier than Willie's did. I mean, they grew up in country around the same time. In fact... Willie was there way before when Merle was still committing, um, you know, thefts and crimes and burglary and stuff and getting sent to prison as a delinquent. Willie was writing songs for big names in Nashville, such as Patsy Cline. But uh, when Merle got out of prison, he became a huge country star in the mid-60s. And Willie didn't really quite hit that level as a solo star. But in the mid-70s with Redheaded Stranger, he had a new level where all of a sudden people started recognizing him. And, and he pretty much, I think, dwarfed whatever <laughs> Merle was doing. But they were good pals, um, you know, Willie had known him from the Nashville scene in the 60s, and they did a lot of albums together until, right, I mean, right up until a few years ago when Merle passed away, in fact, and Willie is still with us, thank goodness, but this is a good reminder of what they were like together. It's a nice track off that 87 album, like I said, and uh, we're going to go with it next. So, uh, let's take a spin here with some country, good old country, with some two legends of the genre. I mean, that's that's putting it lightly. Here's Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard from 1987 on the Song Group podcast with their track, Shotgun and a Pistol, right now. That morning, a lady locked arms with a shotgun and the pistol rode west with the sun. Now the outlaws of Tombstone and the outlaws forever know that death is the way of the gun. They fought side by side, undefeated each time. Speed of their guns were the same. From Dodge City, Kansas to wild Arizona, all outlaws alike knew their name. Shotgun, a pistol, known the world over as the two biggest guns in the West. But the whole town of Tombstone knew the friendship was shaking, and they wondered which one was the best. Only a shootout could settle the question that lay heavy on everyone's mind. Whiskey and loose talk and their love for a woman made the shootout a matter of time That morning a lady locked arms with a shotgun and the pistol rode west with the sun 
Now the outlaws of Tombstone and the outlaws forever know that death is the way of the gods. of the duel had been set by the town that lived up to its bloodthirsty name. Some said the pistol, some said the shotgun, some said the town was to blame. But some outlaws named Clanton and the OK Corral changed history and canceled the game. When the shootout was over and the outlaws laid dying old All right, there you go. Some more great music for you. Shotgun and the Pistol by Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard here on the Sound of Groove podcast. And I'm going to get along here with one last song before we bid adieu for this theme in this episode. This is called The Red Telephone. Now, of course, we're talking about the telephone. Obviously, that's a big, big innovation of technology. Alexander Graham Bell being credited as its inventor, although that's up for dispute. There's been a lot of controversy over that over the years. I won't delve into it, but, uh, you know, know, look it up yourself. But this particular track sort of talks about it a little, and and it's mostly very psychedelic and, you know, buried in the kind of allegory and illusions that a lot of the lyrics of the late 60s did. This is from a pretty innovative album by a band called Love, it's called Forever Changes, and that came out near the end of 1967. And while, you know, 67 is seen as the summer of love and, the, you know, the year of psychedelia, uh, Sgt. Pepper is seen as a crowning achievement, the Beatles album. But Forever Changes is an absolutely unique and original and tremendous album. And who knows, you know, obviously drugs had a lot to do with it. The band Love was very into that sort of thing, but they were... they really kind of broke apart and fell into shambles after this album because of drug use. And Arthur Lee, who is the most composed of the, you know, drug users in the group, the the most in charge as the, you know, head songwriter and singer of the group, it's a good thing he was, he reformed it and never had quite the same artistic and commercial success. Although their previous two albums were much bigger sellers than this one. I mean, they were never like a hugely successful act out of L.A., you know, in terms of the selling records part of the music industry, but they were critically regarded very well. And this album at first kind of confused people, but then later became regarded as one of the, you know, touchstone LPs of that era, and rightfully so. I mean, it's the use of horns and strings, and it's just a fantastic album. It's right up there with anything the Beach Boys, and close to what the Beatles have done, in fact, to be honest. And uh, it's it's weird at first because it's very there's it's it's unsettling even though the music itself is not really like hard or angry or disturbed or anything like that. It's not heavy, it's not in your face, it's not aggressive, it's not punk. Uh, it's not even as punk as some of their stuff they'd done before. It, it, it ratchets down a little bit the folk they'd done and ratchets up some classical influences and psychedelic influences. But, uh, you know, take, take a listen to this track to judge for yourself, The Red Telephone from 1967 by Love. And it's our last song here in the second episode of the Sound Group Podcast, but I hope you really enjoy it because it's coming right uh, right at you. Here it is. Sitting on the hillside Watching all the people die I'll feel much better on the other side of the moon 
I believe in magic. Why? Because it is so quick. I don't need power when I'm hypnotized. Look in my eyes. What are you seeing? I see. How do you feel? I feel. Telephone, great track from Love's incredible 1967 album, Forever Changes. Check it out if you kind of like what you heard there. You're going to really love the album. It gets, uh, it's a little strange at times, but also very melodic, very well thought out, and just, you know, like a classical, like, sweet in, in essence. But anyhow, that's the wrap-up, hey? We're done with our second episode of this theme with technology, the Sound of Group podcast. I'll come up with a name later. <laughs> Sorry if you're disappointed that I didn't do it now, but anyway, uh, I hope we enjoyed the music we heard. Hope you're all, you know, willing to come around for the next episode, the next theme, wherever that might be. Coming at you on the Sound of Group podcast that you can find on musicofevansmind.blogspot.com or at the wonderful site notthepublicbroadcaster.com. There's a lot of other great podcasts on there from sports, music, film, all kinds of culture and other great writings that you might find, articles in particular. So, uh, yeah, this is Evan Dobigan bidding you farewell, and hopefully you come back to listen another time. See ya.